Scott and Liam versus Evil. Welcome to Scott and Liam vs Evil episode 79, I'm Liam And I'm Scott And this week it's Scott's pick Tell us Scott, is this a movie that you have actually watched this time? As I promised to you all last week, this is a movie that I have watched not once, but twice And all the way I watched this twice in two days and I want to watch it again do I reveal what the, the film is, or do this I just leave everyone in The film is so fucking good. This film is literally, like, the best film I've ever seen in a long time. This film, I missed it in the cinema, and th- this is literally one of the, the lifelong regrets. When people say, I regret not taking that career, or I regret, like, not having kids, this is my regret not seeing this film in the cinema, because this would have been so fucking good. Like, I, I've seen, I've not, I, I stayed away from all spoilers, I didn't know anything about it until I watched it. I seen that some people either loved it, a lot of people either loved or hated it. Uh, I can see how perhaps uh, this movie has a lot of certain scenes that we'll probably discuss as we go through it that in a full cinema, full of people who are fucking cinema morons, you know, the type when you get when it's like a, <laughs> like when it's full and you get fucking idiots either talking on their phone, laughing at scenes that should be scary, not letting themselves get fully in, engulfed in what the movie is about. So I can imagine that a, a busy cinema would could ruin the movie or take you out of it. But see, if you've seen this like with a proper audience that was all for it, this would have been fucking brilliant. And I am so gutted that I missed it in the cinema. However, I'm, I am so happy that I have, that I've seen it because it's, oh, man... And this movie is Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, if you've not already guessed it, which... They will have, they will have, have. guessed it. They will have guessed it because the, the, the episode will be called what the movie is. <laughs> oh yeah, true. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's taken us, it takes us seventy nine episodes to realise that the movies, the episodes are called what the movie is, and we keep saying, if you haven't guessed it, if you don't know... <laughs> Well, anyway, just in case you maybe can't read and you've just stumbled across this podcast and you're like, oh shit, I wonder what this is about. <laughs> this is about Hereditary. Here's the trailer. <sighs> Come on, Peter. Here's your suit. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. Oh my god! She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. Who's gonna take care of me? You don't think I'm going to take care of you? But when you die... And she wasn't all together there. At the end. 
stress on my family. After the family matriarch passes away, a grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences and begin to unravel dark secrets. Hereditary is a uh, coming in 2018. It's directed by Ari Aster. It stars Tony Collette, Millie Shapiro, Gabriel Byrne, and the boy from Jumanji, who I can't... Alex Wolf. Uh, he oh, so it is. That's right, the, the new one, aye. Yeah, which is fucking brilliant. Yeah, it really is. It really, really is. <laughs> uh, so, hereditary. I went to see this in the cinema. Oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> I was one of the lucky ones who got up off their arse and actually ventured out the house to go see it. And after watching it in the pictures, I was not keen on it. Really? Uh, I loved it. Uh, we should also say that if you've not seen Hereditary, this is one we both thoroughly, thoroughly recommend you pause this podcast, yeah. go and watch it, and then come back because we will spoil the show. And this movie deserves to be watched with uh, brand new eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And not us fucking it up. Spoiler warning. Uh, so I, I went to see it in the cinema we went to the Odeon Lux so we had the big fucking recliner seats which to be honest I'm not a fan of there's too much a gap between me and the seat in front and I don't like having that much space uh, and the first three quarters of the movie I thought were excellent some of the scenes got me really kind of suddenly creeped me out and then the movie turns it changes into something that's so totally different that on second watch and third watch uh, I fucking love but in that first watch two stupid lassies in the cinema started laughing at the, the kind of changeover which we'll, we'll talk about as we get into it and it totally took me out of the zone like there was so much hype and I was I was I went in expecting a, a movie that people who aren't necessarily horror fans would enjoy so I'm expecting a run in the mill I'm running the mill horror movie a bit like Insidious or uh, The Nun kind of shit like that Yeah. and this movie then kind of comes out of left field with, with the, the last the, the last third and these fucking idiots laughing just it spoiled it for me because I was like oh that's just fucking stupid and I was so against it but I couldn't stop thinking about it and then like three days later I was like fuck it I need to watch this again downloaded it watched it and then have since bought it on Blu-ray and watched it again because this movie's fucking brilliant. Yeah, it's so 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 good. Like I was actually saying to um to to Lauren the other day there like we should we should watch it because I wanted to watch it and then I just thought you know what fuck it I took it to night shift and watched it at work like because I do get some downtime uh, on on a shift and right now the way that it's working you spend a good amount of time on my own like I don't need to sit with our staff so I'll just stick it in and I can watch it and uh, I managed to watch it so what we're trying to do this week is um. See ya to watch it and pretend I've not seen it, so I can watch it a third time. Uh, see how like we are, we've just realised that the audience can actually read the title of the episode. No, yeah. we were talking about. Do you think Warren will maybe know that you've watched it because she'll see that you've done a full episode on it? Yeah. Oh, aye. No, but actually, I don't think she actually listens to the episode, so I'm alright. <laughs> That's why you're still with her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and incidentally, about work. 
what what's happening with this ghost? Uh, nothing more. They they just kind of it was seen one time, and then the next couple of nights, I thought I felt maybe like cold shivers and cold breezes and stuff when it should have been warm, but nothing. That's the thing. It, it, real life ghosts aren't over a ninety minute period. They are literally spread out over like three or four years, and it's really not much to write home about. The chance of this podcast lasting another three or four years is fucking slim, so (laughs) (laughs) we'll never find out the continuation of the ghost story. Yeah. Uh, So, Scott's pick, episode 79, Hereditary. We begin this movie with the obituary from, uh, which looks like a newspaper, as if it's just been cut straight from a newspaper, it comes up on the screen, and it tells you about, uh, basically, the, the gran of the movie, or the matriarch of the family, and how um, she's died, obviously. That's why she's got a, an obituary, because she's dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then it cuts... So it sets the scene. It sets the scene pretty well. Uh, it goes straight into her funeral. Sorry, I thought I'd just deleted all my notes here. Fuck. I was letting the dog out. The dog had come out of the room, and uh, I was just letting him out, and... Uh, I thought I'd left it on notes, right, sorry. Uh, yeah, so. That would be a good excuse for having not actually watched this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, there, there, I've watched this so many times, oh, there, my notes are gone. <laughs> now, this, my notes were taken on my second watch, but I tried to write some of the notes as if it was my first watch, as if, you know, I didn't know what's coming, so there might be some disjoint, just disjointation, is that a real word? Well, it's, I'm, I'm saying it. There might be some disjointation <laughs> between... Um, <laughs> what it sounds like my notes and whatever else, but basically it starts off. It starts off with. It start, does it start off with the dollhouse within the house, and it zooms right yeah. into the dollhouse, and then the dollhouse becomes the real house, and you can see that the room is kind of. It's a set, you know, the walls are so high, and the that you can tell because it still feels like you're looking inside the dollhouse. You're still looking as if the house has not got a front wall, which there, it feels like a common theme throughout the whole movie. That it's it's kind of open faced and we're we're watching in and I think that that is that is obviously done on purpose but just that first kind of scene where it zooms into the doll's house and then it changes the dad walks into the room and wakes up the, the son so basically they're waking up on the day of the funeral trying to get the kids to get their shit together and go to the funeral. Yep. Um, it is it is very well done. I, I like that because, like you say, you're still convinced you're looking at a doll's house. Yeah. And then Gabriel Byrne walks in and you're like, oh. It's not a doll's house. Yeah. Or, uh, that's a really realistic doll of Gabriel Bum. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, basically, at the start as well, you need to ask the question right at the beginning, do we not like the Gran? Because the kids seem really reluctant to be up and ready to go to your funeral. And the, and the photos it showed you, Ken, at the start, she did look like a right bitch. Oh, yes, definitely. She looks like a full-on <laughs> bitch. Um, and we find out, so, the son is like a teenager, and he's, like, sleeping. And the dad comes in and says, get up, get ready. Where's your sister? Did she sleep in her own bed? And then this is when he goes out to this treehouse shed that's just like off the ground. Um, and we meet Charlie, the wee sister. Now, Charlie seems off to begin with, but this is a second watch, so I know what's happening. And there's a thought that Charlie is never Charlie. Do you agree? Right. I wouldn't... I, obviously, knowing what happens at the end, yeah, I watch it back. But I think you, just because she does have a kind of odd face, like she's not... Do you know what? Wait, good looking. Right, can I just can I say that I wasn't sure how I was going to approach this in this episode because I don't want to be a dick. But I was googling and googling to try and find out like IMDb and Wikipedia and just to see if there was like a condition. Uh huh. I don't think there is. 
But I did see one. The only kind of spoiler I did see before I went to this movie was somebody put up a picture and says, uh, "When you realise that we get Lassie for Hereditary, it looks like Kevin Bridges. You can't see. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see anything else." <laughs> <laughs> she does a wee bit. Yeah. Uh, it's there, there is definitely something not normal with her face. That, that that's harsh. I know that's. that's I, I, know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but she's not. But you know, like in all genuineness, she's a crankly actress or an actor. She's a Aye. really good actor and she's done really well. When you watch her in like behind the scenes stuff, like interviews and stuff, that she's she's very capable and you know she doesn't seem as if there's any issue at all. I think it's just much like the what's his face from the House of Eyes, the original one. Ah, uh, Michael uh, Perryman. Yeah, well, do you know what? He's got a look that lends itself well to the films that he's in. Mm-hmm. The, the Millie Shapiro's look really lends itself well because you're there in the back foot, you're going, right, there's something not quite 100% with this little girl. Yeah. And then, so fucking fair play to them. Use. Yeah. Use all your weaknesses and strengths to your strength. Well done, Millie Shapiro. Yeah. So, <laughs> we, we have managed to tread water. Fucking brilliant there. Move yeah, we will not be tweeting this episode to you as you're a <laughs> 10-year-old lassie and you might be upset. <laughs> um, so we go to the funeral and uh, the Tony Collette is the, plays the mum in this movie and she's uh, reading out, look up, she's saying some stuff. Um, she basically said that the room is full of strangers that came to her mum's funeral. Um, she is... She's wearing an amulet. Or not an amulet. She's wearing a, a necklace that's got like a, a symbol that we then see that the mum, the grandmother, is also wearing in her, in her coffin. Uh, and this symbol pops up like time and time again throughout the movie. Now I wonder, does Tony Collette know what she's wearing? Does she... Did she does... Once we get in it, because we are going to spoil this movie, but I want to reveal it as we, walk, as we talk through it. Does Tony Collette know the way that movie ends up, does she know that that's what her family's involved in, or does it just come on the terms of like who she meets throughout this movie, like the woman that comes to meet her, yeah, help her grieve stuff, does it, cut, does it grow through that, or does she know what her mum is involved know, in from the start? I, I don't think she knows. Well, how we'll do the notes is as we go along, but we'll still point out the bits that, like, on hindsight, the reason it's telling you that is because it's basically giving you away the ending, so you can still mention them in our notes without actually giving away the ending uh, so like that that necklace thing you noticed obviously on first watch you never really noticed that <laughs> or I never I never I didn't give a flying fuck about the necklace on well, first it kind watch of it I kind of does it not it, it jumps pretty straight you see a kind of close up between Tony you see her wearing the necklace and then it cuts to um, Charlie at her grand's coffin and you see her she touches the necklace or looks at it closely and then turns around and looks at the weird guy standing at the wall who just smiles at her Aye, but I, th- I think it's done quite cleverly that... You don't pick it up? If you're really looking for it, then yeah, you'll notice that. Whereas, watching it in the cinema, I was just like that. Oh, she's at her funeral. Yeah. Oh, she's wearing a necklace. Even though I probably would have noticed the necklace. On second watch, you notice it. I don't think Tony Collette knows what her grand's involved... Uh, what her mum's involved in. I think she's maybe just... Uh, it's a necklace that our our, our mum made for her that right. she's just decided to wear for the funeral. I don't I don't think she knows the kind of significance of it. Uh-huh. Um, the whole Tony Collette, by the way, is fucking amazing. Oh, I've yeah, I've got Everything. notes throughout about 
how good that is as well. In fact, I'll just jump to it and just like tell you that now. Every year at the Oscars, there should just be a category where the judges in the room and they go, "Okay, has Tony Collette made a movie this year?" Oh right, she has. Okay, give her an Oscar, and that's that because she is phenomenal. She is like the best actress ever. I used to think she was like a a fucking poor man's Uma Thurman, just by looks only because she yeah. looked a bit like Uma Thurman. But seeing like the boys and what's that one when it's like my sister's shoe? <laughs> I don't know what that's called. My it's sister's shoe. Like, is it that? Maybe. I'm sure so to do with she, she's in one about a, a woman's shoe as well. Anyway, it's a kind of chick flick, but she's fucking good in that, and she's outstanding in this film. Like, she was really, really good. Amazing, and remember even back when she was in About a Boy? So she was, yeah. He was a fantastic at playing a manic depressive. It was just, like, so understated and so real. Like, there was nothing about it that it was... It felt real. It felt like a, like a, like a single mum battling depression under her circumstances and trying to keep her son on level and it was just her performances just stand out you know she's brilliant she is fantastic four thumbs up for Tony Collette from yeah. Scott and Liam um, right the whole tone of this movie is very unsettling straight from the get go see at the Grand's funeral the, there's like a picture of her you know like sitting like you know how you do you put up a picture of the person that's dead like at the front of the church or the chapel or whatever um, why were they in a chapel I don't know if they were, was it not? Just like, like a funeral home? home? Right, okay. That's, yeah. oh, that makes sense. Okay. Um, that why, My question there, people, if you have, well, you know what, if you're spoiling the movie for yourself, then you're a fucking idiot, so you, you know why I'm questioning that. The, so the picture they've got at the front of the kind of the room, uh, her sitting, like, and it just it just seems, it almost looks like she's looking at you. Do you know, the, the picture, the colours and the image of her in that picture, in that room, it looks like she's looking out from the, the still image right to your soul. The first time I watched it, I kind of, you know the way that when it changes scene and you kind of look up to glad you like you know to make sense that almost the corner of your eye as the scene changes. I swear to God, the first time I watched that, I felt as if the picture moved just slightly. You know how in the new iPhones, if you take a live picture when you flick on it, it like moves like half a second and it stops uh-huh. doing it. I felt as if when the scene clicked up, that picture moved like that, as if she's kind of sat up and looked out. And I thought, did that happen? And I had to watch it for the second time and see if it happened. And it doesn't. It's completely still. But just the whole tone and the whole colour and the whole way that image is shot, it, it felt as if it was alive. It's yeah. fucking brilliant. This movie's really got you, hasn't it? It really, really has, eh? So this is when we go back, after the funeral, we go back home at the house and it gives you this big wide shot of the kind of living room and you can see right out through up the stairs and it's a strange kind of set up, this house, but it, it honestly feels like it's open. It feels like there's no front to the house, as if it is like a doll's house, as if it's people are constantly being observed by someone we feel it's you feel it's like being observed by us but as you move on basically enough we could spoil just now the grand was involved in some kind of cult and it feels as if the cult members are watching because there was a plan put in place that support like for years ago that was supposed to uh, happen and it's it's um it is as if they're still waiting for this plan to to see it, see itself through, and it's as if they're always just watching on the sidelines. So you kind of feel as yeah. if it's is it us that's watching them, or is it uh, that it's also the cult members as you learn later on? There, there is one bit quite near the start where he's smoking uh, our kind of main character Peter is smoking a, a bong out the window, and and it cuts to his point of view out in the woods, watching when he blows the smoke out. There's like kind of smoke. Or breath being blown back towards him, uh-huh. and if you really look at the side of the screen, you then see that it's like a kind of head and shoulders 
right off camera. So you're watching him from the point of view of somebody outside watching him in the cinema. I totally fucking missed that. I don't know if it's because the the the, the light between the head and the shoulders is only way at the top corner of the screen. Uh-huh. Because the screen's so big, I just seen this as a point of view from the woods. I didn't actually see that there was somebody there breathing. Which on second watch I was like, fucking like there's, there's somebody there, there's somebody there from the very beginning. And that's why a lot of these things, it, it gives you, it's in your face what is actually going to happen. It, it tells you it all, and we'll get to the school scene where it, it really fucking tells you what's going to happen. And the whole time watching this, I didn't pick up on any of that. That's, At no point did I see it coming. That's that's the thing as well. See when, see when it does it that well, see when it's like in the corner of the screen and you only notice it if you notice it. Like see movies that basically the, the directors put all these things in, but he's like, I'm, you know, if you notice it, then then you win. If you don't notice it, then you can you know you can enjoy the movie just the same. But yeah. I'm not going to tell you those details are there. You need to find them, and yeah. when you do find them, it just feels all the more creepy because you feel as if you're in a secret or you've seen something you shouldn't have. And oh, that's oh, man, so good. Right, uh, Charlie says that the gran uh, wanted her. She's like, who's going to look after me now that Gran's dead? And the mom's like, well, I'll look after you. What are you talking about? And she's well. Gran was the one that really took to do with me. Like, growing up, says um, she wanted me to be a boy. Remember that for later. Um, <laughs> there was a thing, there was something written on, Charlie had been writing on her walls, or somebody had been writing on Charlie's walls, uh, with the first word you see is satany. Uh, and it's like, that's a word that's used in necromancy and communicating with the, de- the dead. There's another two words that I, I forgot to write down. One of them was uh, something pandemonium, and the other one was Zazu, who's uh, some kind of demon or devil or whatever. But they, it all kind of ties into to everything that's, that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, so, uh, Tony Collette then, after she put Charlie to bed, she goes into her studio, and she's, she, there is doll's houses in her house, because for some reason, her job is to make miniature, like, models of her life, which, I, I couldn't, I don't, that's one part I don't fully understand, in terms of, why that was her job, but, she's a, she's an artist, so oh, yeah. just, that's, rather than painting pictures, that she, uh, makes miniature kind of art installations of her life and it's like no holes barred it's not like you know it's not like a social media version of her life it is like the, the dirty truth of her life that she makes these models of but the the, the the dad's kicking about as if you know he's helping her make these installations but um, it just uh, to me it just seems like how do you how do you make money doing that but then fuck it I don't know maybe there's maybe there is obviously people make money doing weird shit all the time anyway um, she goes, so she's in her studio at night and she is looking through uh, an old box of stuff I think it's she looks. I don't know if she looks at photos albums at the moment but she finds a, a note like a postcard or a note from her mum and it's like she's reading it from beyond the grave and it's basically uh, in it she says that uh, you will see in the end that her sacrifice will pale next to the rewards and this is kind of foreshadowing obviously what the whole thing's about but I was wondering was did the mum did the grant write that note just before she died to tell Tony Collette that, or did she write that to her maybe years ago, like way back when her kids were born, or maybe when she was a child? Because as we find out later on, this particular thing that's happened is only we're watching it as it culminates, but it was it was put in place, and then there was a lot of kind of false steps as it went. Where it, it could have happened, you know, I mean, it could have happened in the seventies, but it false stepped all its way to to the, the culmination that we see. Um, but this is when you get one of the first scares and it is so, so well done 
and it's just because it's just creepy as fuck. It's when she when she goes to leave the office and she switches the light off, and then standing okay. in the corner, her mum is just standing in the corner, and it's just genuinely creepy. See in the cinema? Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember seeing that at all. Really? Like, see, when I watched it for the second time, I was like, "Oh, the fucking grand's there!" And oh, fuck, it, it got me. I don't. I don't remember like seeing it in the cinema. I don't. I don't know if I did. Or I totally fucking missed it if I was just too busy looking at kind of the, the left of the screen. Uh-huh. I don't remember seeing that, but that is such a fucking good scare. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? And it's because nothing nothing happens. You're just standing there, and it's it's just so genuinely creepy. Now it's it's done very well, and even if it's been done already in the movie Lights Out, or it was done better in the short movie that Lights Out was based on, it is done so well in this movie. She just stands in the mm-hmm. corner, and then she flicks the light on, and she's gone, and then they don't revisit it. She just goes into her, her husband says, "Oh, I just went to scare the shit out of myself in the office. So I thought I'm an idiot." Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you sometimes do that. You get a fright and you think, man, you'll be seen daft. And uh, you're, not, you're not straight away thinking, oh, right, there's something creepy going on. i just seen a ghost. Yeah. It's just like, a, oh, fuck, I'm just grieving and uh, oh, my eyes are playing tricks on me. Yeah. Um, so next we go to school and we have the boy in school. Yep. Uh, and this is where they are talking about uh, I'm not sure, some kind of Greek tragedy, I think. I can't really fully remember it. However, the one of the, the girl in front who... And again, it's one of these things as well because they kind of uh, insinuate that the 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 boy, Peter, is going to have a relationship with the blonde girl in front of him. And he, he, might, have, he, might, have, he might do, but that's not a, a leading story in this movie. That's just like you just... You make those connections yourself. You know, you make the connection that he maybe fancies her or maybe he's gone out with her. Because they are, they seem to be kind of friendly later on at the party. And in fact, he's, he's just talking to her, so he, he fancies her. You make those connections, but they don't need to make it like a proper storyline that plays through the movie as well. Do you know what I mean? There's enough there that you you, you know how teenage boys work. You know that that cliche has been done through movies and movies and movies that you can create that storyline yourself. They don't need to play it out. It doesn't yeah, take up time. It, it lures you into a, a sense of right, okay, this is going to be a storyline in the movie, or there's a wee bit of love interest. Uh-huh. So then when the, when the movie really kicks in, and that actually just, it's got fuck all to do with anything. Yeah. It, all, these wee, all these wee things lead you down a different path that you're going to end up. Yeah. Which is so fucking clever. And in the school scene, when they're talking about that Greek thing, I've actually got her, it's Heracles. Uh-huh. And it's about arrogance. And the last he says, or... Oh, from the from the point we got his arrogance because he literally refuses to look at all the signs that are being literally handed to him the entire play. Yeah, they actually they it's basically saying the audience of this movie are arrogant because we are going to show you everything, like give you all the the, the things that point to the end of this film. We're going to put them directly in front of your face, and you're going to fucking miss or not take in every one of them. Yeah, the arrogance, and it's so well done because. When first watch, I'm listening to that going, alright, cool, play, no worries. Second watch, I'm going, it fucking tells me, it, it tells me it's going to show me all these things that it then shows that I never noticed on first watch. Yeah. It's so clever and it's such a, it, it's such a kind of fucking wind up to the audience because it's like, yeah, we know you're going to miss this, but yeah. I'm actually going to spell it out in front of you that this is what's going to happen and you're going to be so fucking arrogant and oblivious. Fuck you. Yeah, you've just got to assume that it's a standard ghost story or whatever and you've just got to follow it as if you're just turn switch a heat off and you're not going to see 
what we are showing you. And it's also, do you remember at the end of that scene as well when the teacher calls out Peter or something to answer a question and he, he's not even paying attention or he gives a half-assed answer or whatever. Right. But then a, a girl off-screen gives her opinion of Heracles and says, um, one of the quotes she said is, if they never have hope, then they're all just pawns in the machine. And that also is as our characters as well as as us. Like, well, like the, we're the ones that are arrogant and not paying attention, but the characters, they never had hope. They're just pawns in the machine. Even no matter what they do, they cannot escape the final ending. Like, even if it doesn't happen the way that it happens, something else will happen to make them get to the end result, you know? Yeah, like the, the, the parts have all been put into play and yeah. the machine's running, whether you, no matter what you do, yep. you, you're not going to change it, yeah. Yep. I fucking love this movie, man. Yeah, so, so fucking good. <laughs> um, we get to see more of the mum's models again. Uh, this is the one where you get to see that the gran was breastfeeding Charlie. Yep. Um, and it's this kind of runs in place. Uh, I don't know if they fully told you at this point, but basically, when Peter was born, she didn't let Peter see a grand at all. She kept Peter away from a grand uh, because of the way that she grew up, uh, which we will get to in just a second. In fact, we are just getting to that point just now. Uh, she leaves Gabriel Byrne, says that she's going to see a movie about saying she's in real life. Would you buy that as an excuse? I don't, I write, where, are you, where, where are you really going, Hen? <laughs> yeah. Well, where she does go is uh, a support group for bereaved people. Um... And they speak to her at the end and say, right, the new person can tell us why they're here. And she was like, right, okay. So she was a bit reluctant, but then she goes in, yeah, how her mum's died. And uh, how her brother's died as well. And there are slight comparisons to mental health in this. But this didn't mm-hmm. put me off because it's only really mentioned in Annie's description of her mum, dad and brother. Um, and the thing is, it's not really forced on you. Like, there is that whole idea that the, the whole movie is based around kind of grief and grieving, a grieving family uh, and family dynamics but the, 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 the actual story that it plays out, like the the non-realistic story in real life is is the we'll focus one on and that's the one you, you do focus on but I'm not put off by the mental health in this, this story because I think it's done very, very well No, they're not name dropping any actual mental health conditions and then like pretending or not pretending but then try to act them out so they're not saying that alright maybe the mum was schizophrenic and then making you think well that's not actually what schizophrenia is yeah they, 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 are, they are only touching on it lightly that if you want you can go through this whole film without thinking of mental health at all yeah or you can go through it being convinced that that's what it's going to that that's the, what the outcome of the film's going to be, but at no point does it shoehorn it in your face. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, they do it when she's doing the, the support group. She does mention a couple of conditions, but like like you said, she doesn't focus on going into detail on them. So therefore, it's because you're not looking at an actual case study. If you've got any mental health experience, you you're not they're not telling you so much that you can say, nah, it doesn't sound right, or that you know this is not being dealt with in the, the proper way. They've they they still give you so little that basically they just like let you make up your own mind again. Like they're they're giving you the, the like the love story with the, the teenagers. It's there, but it's not really an issue. She mentions their mum's conditions and her brother's conditions, like in their life, but it's not because that's not the point. Of this movie is it is in this movie the the cult is real. The mental health issues aren't yeah. the problem. She says that her mum had DID, which is Dissociative Identity Disorder. That's how they pronounce it in uh, in American. That uh-huh. is uh, split personality disorder. Uh, 
that's also what a lot of exorcisms and demon possession are diagnosed under. So, like, people who are religious and think, oh, it's a, I need an exorcist or there's a demon possession. Actually, when you investigate, it can be, because in real life, demons don't exist. It is, it is normally split personality disorder. Um, they then go on to mention that the, I miss what this she says about the dad, but we miss him, it doesn't matter. The brother killed himself when he was 16 because she says that he had schizophrenia because he was adamant that um, or paranoid that his mum was trying to put people inside him. Mm-hmm. But again, as we learn what the mum, what the grand's whole point was, that's he's, he wasn't schizophrenic, he was telling the truth. But because it's yeah. so ridiculous, they, they thought he was paranoid and, and, and lost it. Because, we should just explain what the mum was planning now, I think. Uh, aye, go for it. Basically, the mum was in, the grandmum was in a, a cult um, to summon a demon. We find out at the end that the the demon is Paimon, who is one of the yeah. eight gods of hell. I think there's I think there's nine gods of hell, but they said it's eight, or he's the ninth god. But they called it. I don't know why they changed that bit, but I think it is like it's like the ninth king of hell. Apparently, right. hell's uh, kind of run by however many kings. Yeah, and he's he's one of them. To bring him forth, he needs to go into a male host. Now, that would make sense that she tried to summon Paimon into her brother, like, into her, into her son, who then he would say, Mum's trying to put people inside me and killed himself. Then, when Tony Collette's son Peter was born, she kept him away from the mum, perhaps because of the the way that she treated her as she was growing up and the way that her brother died, that she just thought, you're a mental patriarch, uh, matriarch, you are trying to control my life and you won't be getting anywhere near my son, so she kept him away, which then begs the question, or gives you the idea that Tony Clyde does not know about the cult, does not know about the amulet she's wearing, and is not fully involved in it. Um, yeah. But then she has her second child, Charlie, and she lets the mum, the gran, be involved to the point that the gran's trying to breastfeed Charlie. And, like we said, Pyman needs a male host. This is obviously what Charlie said earlier on, she wished I was a boy. So, we eventually learn that that is the the, the, yeah, the that's thing that's true. actually hereditary. Well, you can argue that hereditary is uh, mental illness, and that can be hereditary through family lines. But hereditary is the in the bloodline, whatever fa- whatever this bloodline is. Tony Collette's family's bloodline is can summon this demon to a male host, and it's obviously tried it to her brother, couldn't manage it, didn't get a chance to summon it into Peter, put it into the female body. But then I think. If, because it's not a male host, it can't take over the body. This is, must be what it is. So this is Charlie must be both. Charlie's both throughout the whole film. Charlie is Charlie with Pyman floating about inside her. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, oh, who, I, I thought it was Charlie and the Garan. Is it not? I don't know why that's in my head now. No, no, it's not. It's um, it's. It's, P- it's Pyman, and there is a there's a thing that happens between the two of them that shows you. Ah, right, cool. Um, we now get to yep, the... Yep. <laughs> yep, this, my next note actually says that, so the light reflecting demon, so there's a, a couple of points where this, like, it's like the reflection on a watch, almost like that, you know, when you the light reflects on the walls and stuff, it kind of looks like that, floating about. So then, that's what I'm asking, is Charlie actually Charlie then, and Pyman is just floating about waiting for a host? But then, no, Charlie is actually the demon. Well, like I say, Charlie is Pyman and Charlie in the same time, but the tongue clicking, she does that. Mm-hmm. That is Pyman. And 
Charlie wants Gran when she dies. That's why she's upset that Gran's died because Paimon's like a, almost like a lost soul, can't can't move on without like someone who's got to do the rituals to to push him into Peter's body. So that's why he needs somebody to help it get there. So in the next scene, basically, we uh, see Peter want to just go to a party, and for some reason, Tony Clay says, "Take your sister." Which is fucking weird because yeah. when you go to a party at that age, you don't take your younger sister. You are yeah, you argue more to not take a sister. You're like ten year old sister. You're supposed to be like sixteen. You know you're going to go and smoke weed. It's a house party. You pretend it's a barbecue school thing, but it's a house party. Why would you agree to take your sister? But, but why, why would you? Why would your mum assume that you wanted to take your sister? I know, mum. I am. I'm going there. To try my hardest to slip a digit on that blonde lassie that's in front of me in class. I can't do that if I've got a fucking ten year old ball and chain hanging off asking me what I'm doing. Because I'm not it's not gonna stop me doing it. But I don't like being questioned when I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, exactly absolutely. So when the when the mum asks her if she wants to go, she's like, No. Or, or, or Peter asks her if she wants to go, she's like, No, it's okay. But then she some she almost gets forced to go. You're like, for fuck's sake. So anyway, they go to the party and then they drive past the street and then uh, do you notice that it zooms in on a lamppost that's got the symbol on it? Yeah, again, yeah. I didn't notice it. Oh, on first watch, I noticed there's a telegraph pole as in the, the, the camera just lingered on it. Yeah. I didn't think anything more of it. On second watch, obviously, that that is another little sign that like, this, this telegraph pole is going to play a part soon. Yep. <laughs> yep. First watch. I thought there was going to be edibles in the cake, uh-huh. um, but I had missed that she had a nut allergy. At the funeral, she eats a bar of chocolate, and the mum comes over and says, is there nuts in that? And she's like, no, it's fine. So we, we did learn that she's got a nut allergy. Uh-huh. At the start of the party, some of the kids are chopping up hazelnuts like to make into the cake. Do you see that happening? And then uh-huh. uh, Peter's got the chance to go and chat up the bird because he's like, I've got weed. And she's like, right, let's go and smoke it. He tells Charlie, oh no, look, there's a cake over there, go and get some, go and get some. And I thought, I felt dead bad for her because this is obviously like at like a teenage party where they're about to be they're getting fucked up and they're getting drunk. And she does look a wee bit different and she acts very odd and she's a lot younger. But again, in a normal movie, it might be the point that she would get bullied or something bad would happen to her, like at the party, like naturally, like through kids being dicks. And I felt bad for her having to go over and like try and get a piece of cake. I was like, oh man, but then just cuts to the next scene, she's got a bit and she's grinding it. Do you know what I mean? So it does. It leads you down all these wee paths that would normally happen in different movies, but it's not. That's not the storyline we're going on. It is a completely new narrative, and it does. It does everything so fucking well. But <laughs> she eats this. She eats this cake, and then she starts to get wheezy. She can't breathe, and she finally goes. You see her like she's still trying to make these wee models, like these wee people models. I don't know if she's trying to copy her mum, or it's kind of similar to something we see at the very end. But she's um she's having trouble breathing. She's wheezing, and uh. Then she goes to find Peter. He's like fucking properly getting stoned. He's tits, man. He's smoking straight through a bong. He's immediately taking a deep inhale. And then she comes up and she's like, he's like, you all right? And she's like, oh, I thought it was getting bigger. She's got a rash in her face and whatever else. And he's like, shit. And he runs out, grabs her, takes her to the car. And they go to the hospital. They try to go to the hospital. But I think it would be awful, right? It would be awful to have an allergic reaction. But I think it would be even worse to feel responsible for a sibling to have one. It's like, and then she's like trying to drive to that hospital when she can't breathe in the back seat. It's like and if you ever, and you're stoned out your tits. Yeah, have you ever have you ever been uh, like driving and somebody's like bursting for a toilet, or you're like you're responsible for a child, um, and they're bursting for the toilet and you can't get them to one, and you think, oh no, oh man, and I feel that's worse than being bursting for the toilet. Does that make sense? 
it makes it strange, but it makes sense. <laughs> so that's why I came out. I felt like that. So she's like can't breathe so much that she opens the window and sticks her head out to get some air. And then uh, there's a, a dog or something lying on the on the on the road that Peter has to yeah, swerve. Like, yeah. And then. Wow. The, the most thick, sickening thud in cinematic history. <laughs> wow. I was like, this has been the lamp post coming back into play. I was not expecting that at all. Like, full on. Was, I was I, like, mouth agape. I don't think anyone watching that for the first time is expecting that to happen. See, because this was so hyped up. In yeah. mainstream media, I'm expecting a kind of run of the mill. Uh, they're not going to show you anything too shocking because the, your fucking Nando's Brigade enjoy it. When that telegraph thing happens, so basically the, the, he swerves, there's a thud, and you realise that the Charlie's head has came clean off with that thing. I'm like, whoa, holy fuck. How the general audience don't want to see things like that like, yeah. that's like so fucking grim it catches you totally off guard to the point that you could hear an actual gasp through yeah. the full cinema because nobody was expecting it and it's so well done and then fucking Peter is acting then after this because he knows something's happened he, he can't hear the breathing it doesn't even he, turn round he doesn't he doesn't turn round he doesn't he can't acknowledge it he's just kind of it's a bit like Get Out where it zooms into his eyes yeah. and he is he's playing that full scene just through his eyes they start kind of tearing up because he's stoned he doesn't know what he's doing yeah. it's just breathing and it's as if you can literally feel everything that's going through his head you can feel it all landing like why can't I hear breathing what the fuck just happened why is there no movement what have I done you, you feel it all happening and and it kind of tugs at you, you're like, holy fuck. Yeah, and, it, and then he just it, drives home without even looking back. Aye. And what, in that situation, what would you do? Well, see, the thing is, I don't I don't get high, so I don't know how I react in the terms of he, because he's obviously still baked to his tits when this happens, but... I, if I, I'd... Pfft. I would turn round, and if I'd known that I'd killed a sibling, I would... I would just drive and I would never stop driving until like I was way away I would have to I'd start a new life there's no way I would go back home but would you take the body out the back seat I, I'd kick that to the side <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the marketing in this movie like the, the trailers like which has done so so well because 99% of trailers these days just gives everything away especially horror movie trailers just give everything away in the trailer this made you believe that the the wee lassie was the main character and was the sole focus of the whole movie and then in the first kind of quarter she's pandied she's out the game and it was just like it knocks you for six and you probably like what and then he goes home and then it just you just see him he just drives home and then just goes straight to bed and then again we just skip points where the parents find out like again because we just understand that they've found out and then this is when you, this is when I've got my note about Tony Collette winning an Oscar. See when she's screaming for that dead child, you feel the pain in that acting. Mm-hmm. Like she's on the ground just screaming, "I just want to die!" Like I can't. It hurts and all that, and it's like it's so believable. And the, the dad doesn't know, you know, whether to be upset or console his wife uh, or you know check his traumatized son who's just went to bed and not saying anything. You know what I mean? That's that whole 
whole family scenario dynamic, even if without the supernatural or the cult happening, that's just all could be real. Like accidents happen, that could all be real. And then, and then because <laughs> th- then it cuts in the morning when it just cuts to Charlie's head on the side of the road, covered in ads and lingers on it. I was like, <gasps> because you're still shocked. You're still reeling from the, the the total turn of events with the head that, like, oh my god, that must be the worst thing they're going to... Oh no, wait, there's the head. <laughs> <laughs> and, in fact, let's just stare at the head for, like, fucking ten seconds. It is horrible. Absolutely horrible. But it's so fucking good. Oh, man, it really, really is. Now, I got... I'm so taken by this film and so sucked in that I think I've skipped out a bunch of notes here, right? I'm going to jump through it, right? We meet Joan. This woman, Joan, just approaches Tony Collette in the car one day and just tells her about... Um, I think you kind of assume that she's from the support group. I think she was at the support group. She goes to... she go. Tony Collette goes to turn up to the support group and then goes to leave. And yeah. then Joan kind of appears out of nowhere and she's like, oh, I heard you the last time, a few months ago. Uh, how are you after the death of your mum? And Tony Collette's like, actually, it's my child has died. So obviously Joan knows this the entire yeah. time, but that's when we're introduced to, to her. Yeah. Um she teaches her about a seance about how she'd speak to her um spoke to her son through a seance and she goes and sees it and the glass moves and all the rest of it. And Tony Clay again acting the fucking shit out of this scene is just looking like a hysterical mum, like not really being able to cope with the fact that she could speak to her dead child, the fact that she's still not even sure that she's coped with the fact that her child has died. Uh, and then just has to break out of the break out of that room, not be a deal with the seance still says it's too much for me, I can't do it. Joan still says you should try it. Here's the words you need to speak. It's some made up language. I don't know what it is, you just read it. Aye, very good Joan, you know fine well what you're telling her to do. Um and you can see when she when she takes the the language for the seance, you can see again, acting the shit out of the, the, the scene, that she does take it knowing that she's going to try it because she sees that bit of relief. She was just overwhelmed at the time when it was first uh-huh. happening. But can I, can I skip forward to the scene where she does the seance in the house? Yeah, go for it. She gets up in the middle of the night. There's, there's a whole kind of there's a whole kind of sub part in this movie as well about how she sleepwalks and stuff and how she tried to set the kids on fire when she was young or just Peter on fire when she was young, which means that you think that she kind of knows that the the seance oh no sorry that the the cult is trying to use her son as a host for this demon that she and that's why she kept Peter away from her mum. That's why she tried to kill him. And it's just this whole kind of thing. She had a sleepwalk about how she she tells Peter that she didn't want him. She tried to kill him, tried to abort him. Uh-huh. But this again, she doesn't actually tell him to his face. She wakes up and she's... But this is all thoughts, obviously. And you get to see, like, this... So you get to kind of see that point that she's trying to resist the cult. Uh, but obviously, it doesn't work. So she gets her son up, she gets Peter up, and she gets Gabriel burn up, and she goes downstairs. And she said, the, she said the, the words, the language, and she's like, look, this is a... This is a, a seance. We're going to get Charlie. We're going to speak to him. And uh, the, the glass moves and whatever else. And then I think the dad's like, because he's not part of the bloodline. He's not getting taken over by the cult at all. And he's also a therapist. So he's quite like pragmatic in terms of what's going on. He's like, Yo, you need to deal with your grief rather than play with fucking seances. And then she just gets possessed with Charlie's voice. And it is fucking creepy as shit. It's, <laughs> oh, it's just so, so good. <laughs> it's so good. I can't. I just can't tell you how good it is. Oh, you're managing it. <laughs> it's so fucking good. And then, like, this stresses Peter out. He's fucking greeting his dad's shoulder. It's just an incredible, incredible scene. It's just so brilliant. 
and saying shit starts happening as well, like a bit like a parallel activity where there's then things in the room moving and you again you still feel that right, this is just Charlie's the thing here, Charlie's coming back, there's something to do with Charlie uh-huh. that's it's creepy and you're still believing that this is then gonna be just like a kind of ghost story. Uh-huh. Um she finds she finds uh Charlie's wee drawn book that she had and she had been drawing pictures in it. Like she was drawing at the funeral and she was drawing all through the different things. So the Tony Clark looks through it and finds that every single drawing is a drawing of Peter. And this is obviously because this is probably Charlie like piming inside Charlie channeling out what he wants because he wants to be in Peter. So for some reason the, this book becomes like uh, Tony Clark believes this book is like the root of it all and she needs to get rid of it. So she tries to set it in fire and this sets her arm in fire. Like when you start the book, the book hurts you almost. And she's like, oh shit, takes it out, puts the fire out in the book, puts the fire out in her arm. Um, and then I'm going to skip forward to when she tries to burn it again, when she gets the dad to burn it. No, I think that's when I've, I think, I've, I think I've, I'm fast forwarding forward here, but uh, it is like, I've, oh, every scene is so fucking good. But anyway, if if you'll forgive me to jump this this far forward, she gets Gabriel burned down and she says, this is the book, she explains to him, it's... Um, but it's, it's Peter, it's in the book, and she says, we need to get rid of it, and he's still sceptical, and he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? She says, I tried to burn it, but it set me in fire, so you need to burn it. Right, very good, hein? But he's like, right, fine, and he chucks it in the fire, or covers it in petrol, and fully puts it up in flames, and then he just bursts into flames, standing in the, in the living room, like, literally just stands there, screaming, and like, props to that, that uh, stuntman, they fully set him in fire, and he is just standing, <laughs> like they are just, Born into a crisp, and she is just staring at him, and it's just all reflected in her face that she's terrified, that she's horrified, and then just kind of. But is she like, not horrified? She's horrified because she's she's now well, I think she's now possessed. So she knew by him throwing it in the fire, this would take him out. So I think there's still an inner struggle with her and the the kind of demon or Charlie or the Grand, whoever it is she's still struggling with that because she's now horrified at what she's done but she she did it she made that choice to make him throw the book in the fire to kill him yeah and I think yeah. as for Tony Collette's acting really comes into it because everything she does you can tell through her acting that she fucking means every like how hard is it to convey all that in just a kind of tearful scream I know. If she does it, you can see it all you can see all the workings behind her head. She's she's incredible. Brutal, man. She's fully oh. incredible. We are getting towards the third act here, and the third act again is is it wraps up, it fucking takes it to eleven. It really, really does. We see Peter go up to the room, his bedroom. Um I can't remember what he finds or what he sees or what he does, but he's in his bedroom and I never noticed this the first time round, but his mum is just like on the roof. Mm-hmm. She kind of does that mad scurry and run. Yeah, she's him. just yeah, she's just kind of on the on like just like holding herself up on the roof, and it's just like in the darkness in the background in the corner, and you're like, that is properly weird. Like, what the hell is that? And then she runs across the wall, and it's silent. Like you you just cannot hear her at all. And then he turns around, and there's a creepy old naked man standing in the doorway. <laughs> Which again is just freaky and weird, but I can understand and see why scenes like that could be ruined in a cinema with the wrong audience, and that's probably where it probably started to break down for you. Like if you were watching it with fucking idiots, 
Yeah, because I do. Oh, look, old yeah. man Willie. Yeah. And you're like, shut the fuck up. No. I'm still reeling for that head coming off. Yeah. And that this is still creeping out. Yeah, they, they, they two lassies have got a lot to fucking answer for. So, he goes down the stairs and he finds his dad dead. <laughs> now, this again, no, sorry, this is when he finds, is this when he sees this, this like, so he goes down the stairs and walks into the living room and sees his dad dead on the floor. So he's like, he's like, fuck, what the hell? And then he turns around and then he sees the creepy guy in the, in the, in the corner, like in the doorway. And then when he turns back, his mum is in, is in the other corner of the room in the darkness and she just bolts out and chases him. And he, and it's like almost like, even the way they run, they're running faster than you normally would. It's almost like sped up to make it slightly supernatural. And it is fucking terrifying. Terrifying. Like, it's absolutely <laughs> terrifying. And then he bolts up the stairs and the, the loft's open. Because fuck, we completely missed the bit. The loft's open and her mum's grave had been desiccated. Her mum's body had been dug up. The head had been cut off and the body had been put up in her loft. And every time you go up, there was like candles as if it had been getting worshipped against. And when Tony Collette found that, she was like, you know, fuck, this is crazy. Going up, going husband go and have a look at that and he's like what the fuck is wrong with you you're honestly losing it he goes up the stairs I'm like holy shit there's a dead body up my loft what are we going to do <laughs> and then uh, and then I think then, then she gets something burn the book so he dies so he can't like get the police or whatever so Peter runs up the stairs manages to get away from his mum and runs up the loft and manages to shut the loft hatch and then while he's up there he's just like screaming at stop and she's banging on it and you just hear the banging like constantly like bang 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 and then it cuts to underneath and she is floating on the roof head button the loft hatch. Now, again, I can imagine fucking idiots like Neddy folk from Glasgow laughing at that scene, but see if you're fully immersed in this movie, that scene is, again, fucking terrifying. It just looks so relentless, and she's just like, the only thing that this body is wanting to do is get into that lift loft and get that, get Peter, and it's just like, wow, that is fucking scary. And when Peter, so Peter's up in the loft at this point? Yes, so the, the head button stops, and then he kind of has a look round about the loft, and... And you see... Did you? Well, I didn't see it again first time. All the people that are actually standing in the background watching him. Yeah. Well, he, he turns around and sees that the body of his grand is now not there. The candles are there, and the like the silhouette of where she was lying is is there, but the body is not there. Yeah, in the loft, all the people from the original kind of self help group. Yeah, I didn't get that at the time. I didn't get that the first time that that's that's who all the people were the, the self help group. But this is. Oh yeah. That's that. simply that they are the cult, aren't they? And yeah. they were all in place to, to get her in to make sure that she continued the ritual that the grand had started. Um, so they're all uh, creepily naked and like all in the background in the room and whatever, just watching them, just yeah. watching this play out as uh, as it's as it's been intended from the very start. Yeah. So these, so, yeah, so these these satanic worshippers, they're all real people. Like they're not like they're not supernatural as such. They're just involved in a supernatural cult. They're all kicking yeah. about his house in the dark in the shadows all the time. That's what I'm saying. Like when you when you think that the house has got an open front, that that's that is that they're always like kind of looking in through the windows, or like you said, watching from the woods or in the house, lighting the candles, digging up the body and putting it in the loft and doing all this stuff in and around the house that we don't see, but they're always there and um, just waiting for the ritual to take place and to get Peter's body to get used. Uh, so when so when he sees the couple of people in the corner of the, the loft, he just jumps out the window. He's like, "Fuck this shit!" and jumps out the window. It's as if he can he can he's in pain because he's obviously feeling this thing take over. Because uh, he's seen the body and that he's feeling it coming in, into him. So does 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 he jump? Does do we see his mum up the loft before he jumps out the window, or is it after he jumps out the window? 
Does he see that happen? Just so he, because I can't remember if I know that when you see her face, she's looking at something. So is she looking at Peter while she's doing what she's doing? Because we're about to discuss that. Because fucking hell. No, he looks up and she's floating in the roof of the loft, just doing what she's doing. Beginning <laughs> to do what she's doing, and then he sees a couple of naked people, and then he's like, Aye. "Fuck this shit!" Jumps to the window. Aye. She, she's then just she's staring at him as she's got the kind of fucking piano wire or garrot just cutting her own head off yeah she's got it wrapped around her neck and she's holding both sides and just pulling it backwards and forwards sawing her own fucking head off it is do you know what I mean and it's just so creepy her face is just so weird the blood starts to spurt out everywhere you don't see the, the full when it you know the detachment happening but you see him on the ground outside and you see like a shadow float over him and then you see uh-huh. the light reflection shadow go into him, and then that's when Pyman has, has taken over his body. And he gets up and uh, looks towards Charlie's treehouse. He uh, he sees his headless mum floating silently, like, and it's again I can see idiots laughing at this, but if you're fully immersed in the story, it just looks so creepy because it's like uh-huh. the body's just standing like still, and it's just floating forwards, like standing up forwards. It just looks so unnatural. To the way if you imagine it's flying it just looks unnaturally flying and it just goes up and then just floats up into the into the uh, the hatch into the, the thing and then yeah I think there's what you were going to say there is you turn to Peter and then he goes clicks his tongue and then that's how you know that he's now piming but at that point see the, the, the scene of her floating up into the treehouse that's when the people started laughing Aye. and that's when I was totally out because I was like do you know what that did look fucking stupid if nobody had laughed yeah I would be creeped out with it and go, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. But because they laughed, it just took me totally out of the movie and I was watching it from a, a, a kind of point of view, somebody who wasn't really interested. Yeah. It's going, ah, oh, they've just, they've fucking ruined this. And I and wish, I wish yeah. they hadn't fucking laughed. Yeah, that's so unfortunate. And that's one of the reasons why, as much as I'm, I wish I'd seen it in the cinema mm-hmm. for like the, the whole big effect and the sound and whatever else, I, 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 an audience would have ruined it for me. An audience would have made me feel the exact same things while I was watching it, but I think that they didn't ruin it. I don't think they ruined anything in this movie at all. I think they done everything perfectly, perfectly well. So good. Uh, so he he starts walking to the treehouse and yeah. and the the woods. You see all the kind of the naked people yeah. who have obviously been there the entire time. Yeah. That's who you've you've seen in the corners, you've seen in the background, and then you realise that that's the folk from the fucking group. This has all been planned. This is. Uh, there, there was no self-help group. This was just in, put into play years and years ago. Yeah. These people are just here, just helping guide it along. Yep. And they've they've been wait, They've been waiting since uh, Tony Collette's brother was originally supposed yeah. to be Pyman. That's how long they've been waiting. And he walks up into the treehouse. But you notice that when he when he climbs into the treehouse, it's it seems less scary. It's still strange, but it's it's less scary. And the music has changed to a more kind of uplifting almost. Because he obviously is now the demon and he's willingly going into this area and those people are not there to get him anymore, they're there to worship him. Um, Before this, all the colours, like, throughout the kind of movie and just the scenes leading up to this, have all been kind of blue and like a, a dark green kind of hue. It feels cold, it feels yeah. it feels eerie, whereas, yeah, as soon as it's at his treehouse, it's orange. It's, it's warm, warm, isn't it? Glow. Yeah. Yeah. The, this is where he finds that um, his mum's body has nailed it towards a, a, an altar. There's a there's a statue. There's a, a statue of like a kind of. It's obviously not Jesus because it's Satan, but it's like a figure, 
uh, and it's similar to the ones that Charlie was making. You know, she was making wee models in the, at the party. It's like a big mannequin version of that. But I'm sure that's Charlie's head on that statue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Charlie's head, and it's it's got like kind of I don't know, you know if there's spikes coming out the top. It's slightly like a as if it's a halo or a crown. As yeah. if this is a statue of the king payment. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, his mum and his grand's bodies, like his mum's freshly decapitated body and his grand's like decomposed, yeah, decomposing body. They're both kneeling at the front, in front of this uh, statue. Now, can they? I just wonder, can the, can the headless bodies worship, or have they just been placed there? I think they've just been placed there because this is hereditary, as in the bloodline that they have to be there for the kind of the the crowning of payment. Now uh-huh. that he's now that he has finally made it to the, the kind of vessel or the, the body that he had to take over. Uh-huh. So then we see someone in the background taking the crown off Charlie's head on the statue. And I'm not sure if that's Joan or not. I couldn't really see. It's the person's hair's down. It's not tied back. It could be Joan from the seance. It could just be someone else. I'm not entirely sure. But then they place the crown on Peter's head. And then someone off the person. You assume the person that's put the crown on, but you don't see her saying it. It's off screen. This uh, kind of monologue of... King Paimon, the eighth king of hell, um, we reject the Holy Trinity like from Christianity and we submit ourselves to you. Um, apparently, submitting yourself to Paimon gets you knowledge and power, which in turn can make you wealthy and all the rest of it in your mortal life. Um, and then they just all hail Paimon and then everybody joins in, all the worshippers, hail Paimon, hail Paimon. And then it cuts to this end scene of Peter standing or Paimon standing with the crown on in the treehouse, but it's again, it's like it, it mimics the opening scene when it zoomed into the tree into the doll's house that was Peter's uh-huh. bedroom. It now is this uh, the treehouse, and it's an open face version of it. And it's just this really warm looking treehouse, like you said, with the worshippers around um, Peter's feet, all the candlelight, and then black all the way around it. But to me, this end scene, the open face version of the treehouse church, makes you feel like you're looking at the doll's house again, like I said. But it, I feel it reminds me of the nativity. Uh, only in this uh-huh. case, he is evil. Jesus being born in his rightful body. That's what it. That's what it looked like. That whole kind of wee triangular wee shape with a kind of hair and about it, and all the worshippers kneeling at the feet. Yeah, and that's that's, actually, yeah. that's how it ends. So fucking good. You've got the, a, the, I've got. A, oh, <laughs> excuse me, goosebumps just. The, the scene just before when they're the, the kind of giving the monologue, it's just. It's the same as Get Out. It's just zoomed in at Peter's face, mm-hmm. and the he doesn't blink. He doesn't. He's got like a just kind of glaring look in his face as they reveal that this is payment and the acting ability of Peter uh, Alex Wolf to do that is fucking as tense as he does. Yeah, is incredible. It's so so good. Yeah, he method acted as Peter the whole time he was on set. He like he didn't get called Alex until they wrapped. What a guy! He put he put a lot of emotional effort into that. And I've seen people like talk about this movie and say that he was he was the worst part that he couldn't act and he was rubbish. I'm like, are you watching the same fucking movie, idiot? No, no, he is um, very very good. It's also some of the lingering shots up close up to people's faces. It's almost reminiscent of uh, Shining. You know, when they sometimes they had like zoomed in on like Danny's face when he's like screaming, um, or right up into Jack's face, like when he's just like kind of acting with his face, you know. 
it's reminiscent of that. So, and also some of the long kind of panning shots could be similar as well. And you could say that uh-huh. the, the connections there maybe just be nod of the head in terms of the shining was about like um, a presence that knew more than than the characters did. That that was always in the background. That were always there. That were always watching. And it's kind of this similar idea. Obviously, I'm not linking the two of them fully together, but there's just a wee bit of similarities that maybe it was just done as a kind of nod of the head, like the director's influence, you know? That, that issue mentioned The Shining again. All you need now is a fucking Coronation Street reference and you've been <laughs> keeping it up for the past few weeks. <laughs> the Shining and Coronation Street. Just every movie, has a, every movie has a nod to, to the head. <laughs> the Shining and fucking Coronation Street. <laughs> Alright, so... Uh, summary? Yep. Let me go first. Uh, no, because I've got a feeling you've got a, a lot to say. Right. <laughs> so, I, on first watch, wasn't keen on this because of the reasons I've said. I, I thought it just went too left field. On second watch, I appreciated the movie for what it was and the way I should have appreciated it the first time if I'd been sitting in a room with fucking nobody else. This movie is outstanding. It's so clever. It's so creative. It's it's a movie that the mainstream the mainstream moviegoer shouldn't enjoy, and yet the hype this got it is fully deserved. There's so many unsettling scenes. There's so many even on rewatch, like bits that are still spooky, that are still scary, that are still they still make you on edge. The acting is superb, and this movie is. Really seriously about it, and a very, very top contender for uh, one of the best films this year on my list so far. I would give it a nine out of ten. Very, very good. I fucking love this movie. I think I made that perfectly clear throughout this whole episode. It's very. No, no, you didn't. You didn't. (laughs) (laughs) It is very close to perfect. It's scary as fuck, and I think it deserves all the hype it got in its release. I really wish I'd seen it in the cinema, as I would have shat myself and happily done so. There was no cheap jump scares, everything was earned and done so, so well. It helps to have Tony Collette smashing it out of the park, though, as usual. There were shocks, there were scares, there were genuine creepy moments, and everything is all in place from the very, very beginning. On multiple watches, more is revealed to you. You can watch it a second time and see more and see that it was all handed to you in a plate from the beginning. You just weren't looking for it the first time round. That's the way the best movies are. Very cleverly written, very well put together. It's up there with one of my favourite movies of all time. I'm so impressed with it. Ten breastfeeding grannies out of ten. And that is too many breastfeeding grannies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, you dropped a ten bomb. To be honest, that, that, was, that, was, that was obvious that that was coming. Yeah. Uh, but you're, you're raging hard on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've uh, given, given anything else a ten before. I know you've given a ten bomb before, but I don't think I have. No, you did. You dropped a ten bomb a few weeks ago. On, oh shit, what was it? It wasn't. I'm sure you've dropped a ten bomb recently. Hmm. Ah, t- Fab Day listens. Let us know if Scott's dropped a ten yeah. bomb. I, I don't. I don't think. Both, I, both our memories are fucking awful. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I think I did, remember. but I, I'm willing to uh, be proved wrong. So that was. I take it you. Own it on oh, yes. DVD or Blu-ray yes. now. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's one of the movies I think that you have to own. I'm gutted I didn't buy the Steelbook, and now I don't think it's available anywhere. I wish I had, because uh, it's a movie that I think you can go back to and 
it's unlike Apostle last week it's a movie that lends itself to multiple rewatches and I think that is that's now what I look for in a film if I can go back and watch it and get something new and something different every time then fucking amazing Uh, if it's a movie that I only need to watch once then yeah so Hereditary is outstanding definitely by this point you should have watched it if you've been through this full episode and you haven't watched it yet you've ruined it for yourself now you're a fucking idiot yeah we're not to fucking blame that's so good I can't wait to watch it again (laughs) so have you you watched anything else have you literally just been watching (laughs) Hereditary all week Uh, I watched uh, I watched a thing on Netflix that is called Don't Watch This. It's a right, collection so of it's like going, a sm- going totally against the uh, uh, the instruction there, but okay. Yep, and uh, I should have paid attention to what they said because it's fucking bollocks. It's like a, <laughs> it's like six or seven collections of short stories. The first one's about nine minutes long, and some of them are as short as two minutes long. But they are uh, two minutes too long, man. They're fucking garbage. <laughs> I don't I think I watched the first two or three. The pish, absolute pish. Uh, but then I started to watch on Amazon a thing called Oats Volume 1 it's um, from Neil Blomkamp it's like yep. uh, some of it's quite good starts off with a short story about Wade Sigourney Weaver in it about aliens um, then it's like some CGI people and stuff it's uh, it's interesting get a watch it's, it's alright we've shared a lot of them in the group before right. uh, see when they were dropping them they were dropping them like an episode not an episode sorry like a short at a time right okay uh, and Quite a few folk were sharing them in the group because some of them are really well done. Yeah, yeah. I did also notice that they'd kind of grouped them. It's that's what they'd grouped together on Amazon, and I went to watch it and then said to customers also watched, and that's how I found that fucking arise thing that I talked about. <laughs> right, right, right. The the fucking bonkers thing. Uh-huh. It was through the old studios thing that I found that. Uh, you watched anything else? No. Uh, I watched the Spear. Finally, went to watch the Suspiria. You all thought that I would hate it. Uh, I put a post up on my Instagram uh, where I like to post up pictures of movies that I've bought and maybe sometimes watch. It's quite a boring Instagram, but people seem to like it, like like my pictures <laughs> if, as long as you tag them horror. Uh, but uh, I finally went to watching it. Uh, you, Woody, and I believe uh, our friend Mark, who done the soundtrack to the opening of their episodes, all said that I would hate it, and you all were wrong because I loved it. It was really good. I, I still don't believe it. I, but I, recently, you have been on fucking a uh, troll mission <laughs> one. That you're, I think you're taking it as your mission every day just to fucking wind me up. And I do believe that you watch the spirit, maybe watch 10 minutes of it, and I'm just pretending to like it just to wind us up. Because <laughs> the, I, everything that you hate in movies. Suspiria has it in abundance. No, and no, it's not. It's, Suspiria is like an outhouse movie. It's that's that's perfectly done well the story moves at a, a really really good pace and then the kind of shock at the end I wasn't expecting it I was expect I thought it was a different person that was going to be like come out I don't want to spoil anything because if you haven't seen it then, then see it this is obviously we're not warned, warned spoilers for Suspiria but the shock at the end I wasn't expecting that to be who was there you know what I mean I was expecting someone else and I was like well that's actually done pretty well for a movie from the 70s so mm-hmm. I'm glad I watched that I'm glad I enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to the remake to watch that anyway mm-hmm. That's out uh, next week, is it? Yeah, uh, I think so. I think it's out in America now. The week after. It's nove- yeah. November at some point, isn't it? For us, some point in November. Yeah. I think Suspiria is a, a great film. Really brilliant to watch. So, like, just the way it looks, the way it's kind of, the way it's all handled. 
I thought it was brilliant. I prefer Inferno, and I think you should then watch that next. I've got Inferno. I bought that in Arrow. I don't think, I don't know if I've maybe haven't got around to watching it then. Oh, it's partly the, the same trilogy as right. Suspiria. Oh, what's the other one? It's kind of Tenebrae? Uh, Mother of Tears, Tenebrae is not part of it. Right. Tenebrae is also a really good, I really enjoy it, a uh, brilliant film. I've got Tenebrae on VHS, but I don't have it on... Tenebrae is, there is mention of Tenebrae in the kind of trilogy, just because of the, the character it represents some like, kind of witch thing. But it's, that's actually not anything to do with the trilogy. The third one's Mother of Tears, which came out recently, well, I say recently, in the 2000s. But I've actually never seen it, so I don't even know if it's any good. Duncan likes it, but Duncan also kind of follows it up with, unlike other people, I like it. So I think it's maybe one that's not as well received. But Inferno, I think, is the better film than Suspiria, so it'd be interesting to see if you like that. Or, if you watch it now, say it's shit, just to keep up fucking winding me up <laughs> uh, I've not watched anything apart I'm still making my way through Sabrina and see I've been kind of busy in life and there's just something really soothing about the American office and I just keep putting that back on and just working my way through it I think I've worked my way through the full season like in my life like fucking five times and I just I find it funny every time so I'm just watching the American office again mm. Yeah, and I don't have any weird news stories because, to be honest, it's it's winding me up that some of these stories are actually have made it to the news. That that always annoys me when stuff makes the news. Do you know what's been in the news in the paper the last two days? Um, what that remember that lassie who was like sixteen and won the the uh, lottery raffle and won a million pound, the Edinburgh, and then she pretty much like squandered it all and she did a wee TV show about how she's a fucking idiot and she bought a big house and then moved back in with mum and all that. Uh, well, she was in the paper because she dressed up as a slight Catholic nun, and then because, and she said, uh, uh, "Was it slightly fat and single or something?" She done her a Snapchat. Now, obviously, somebody's the Daily Record just following her Snapchat so that they can take a screenshot of it and then put it in the paper. And then the next day, she's now she's looking for love because she's uh, happy. Being I'm like, what the fuck is this person in the paper for? This is not even just like a small story. This is a full page spread in the Daily Record. The Daily fucking pish. The Daily nonsense. Ugh. <laughs> So to talk more about our recent sponsors, the Daily Record. <laughs> yeah. I know, fuck it. I don't I, I even read the news apart from these weird news stories. Fucking hate the media, man. That is, it's, it's garbage, man. We live in, we actually live in the worst, the worst time possible. Yeah, what, in life? In life, yeah. This is the worst era of history. I'd, I'd much rather live in, like, fucking, like, old, um, like, times when it's, like, brave heart times. I oh, see, I'd rather live in like the 70s or 60s. See, just when I can get fucked up and it's alright to get fucked up. That's, that's when I want to be. Or the 50s. But I can't really get fucked up then. Uh, well, you could, you, could, <laughs> you could have been a trailblazer and just got fucked up. Well, that, that, I want to be a trailblazing druggie in the 50s. Yes. Why would you want to be Braveheart times? You'd get, you'd get murdered instantly. Yeah, I would get murdered instantly, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing about you screams warrior or a uh, protector, <laughs> protector and guardian of the tribe. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would get killed. <laughs> like, there's actually no argument to that. No. I would, yeah, a million percent be dead. It'd be an easy life, though. We need to worry about it. Hi, all you teenage comet zombies. This is Kelly Maroney, and you're listening to Scott and Liam versus Evil. 
So next week is episode 80 and we have left it up to the group. <sighs> much but to be much fair, to look, my dismay. To be, to be fair, the suggestions we go in were quite a lot of suggestions and when we shortlist, we've got a short list down and get, get used to grab into a poll. In fact, the poll might already be up. This is There's just a slight uh, differentiation of when this episode is going to drop. The poll might be up and you might have already decided what movie we're going to watch. So uh, I don't think we're going to get another Lindsay Lohan. We make a shite movie, but it won't be as bad as I know who killed me. Uh, but the, the thing is, it's now a point that people are picking movies that they know will wind us up. And <laughs> I understand that, because there's nothing funnier than me and Scott being fucking raging at something. But I swear to God, if whatever you pick is worse than that Lindsay Lohan movie, I will come to each and every one of your houses and I will murder you and your entire family because <laughs> I am not sitting through another hour and a half of that fucking drivel. So That's... be warned. If the poll's not been done, you better go back and you better fucking retract it and you better pick something fun like fucking Candyman. Pick Candyman. I'm only, I'm only saying that because that's sitting right in front of me and that's all I can read right now. But I swear if it's a fucking nonsense like I know who killed me, you're all for it. Every one of you. Even if you didn't pick it, I'm fucking going to come after you like a barrel full of fucking diseased knives. That is, that is fair enough. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of activity in the group obviously for part of the polls for just general chat what people are watching uh, what they think of certain movies if you aren't a part of that jump on uh, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash scott and Liam versus evil uh, it's definitely worth it if you want to talk to other like-minded people uh, hopefully we still keep up on instagram and keep updating that and just Thanks for listening and keep telling your pals about us. Yeah, give us ratings. Give ratings us reviews. reviews. Yeah, and we'll see you guys. I swear to God, if it's the fucking Lindsay Lohan movie, <laughs> uh, we'll see you guys for episode eighty. I can't believe this has went for eighty episodes. I know, I know. And I'm only just starting to hate you. We are fucking trolling. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd have hated you like way more than this by about episode twenty. Yeah, I'll I'll break you before episode hundred. That's my plan. The fucking John Carpenter chat the other day <laughs> joke to me, but we'll get to that when you're willing to accept that you were wrong. Uh, so see you guys next week. Peace. See you later. Oh